Welcome back. We are excited to bring you another great episode this week. Um, I am just seeing Jen for the first time in a couple of days. So Jen, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. Uh, let's see. Well, we are recording currently at 7.30 in the morning, my time. So I am. you're getting my pre-coffee energy. But I've actually become an early bird lately. Who knew? I mean, I on purpose on Saturday woke up at 6.45 in the morning so that I could get to the Arboretum to see the Pumpkin Village before everybody else was awake. Oh, what's the theme this year? So I think it's it's fairy tale again. So they're doing it's similar to like the uh, Cinderella and all of that. Um, but I was actually I was going to tell you on Saturday, and then I purposely held off. Um, they already have everything up for the holidays too. So like the Christmas Village is already up, and they're like building out more because I think it's going to be bigger this year. And then they have the twelve days of Christmas, or like the the structures are already up. So. It is uh, still in the 80s, but it is full holiday as at the Arboretum. That's awesome. That's my favorite time of the year. It's between the pumpkins and like the Christmas season. Well, I shouldn't say that because the tulips in April, right before Easter, they are yeah. definitely the best. I shouldn't say that. that's definitely the number one. But yeah. the Arboretum is such an awesome, um, like, I, I guess, a botanical garden-esque type place is, for yeah. people to go to. So if you find yourself in Dallas, um, this is definitely like a garden you do not want to miss. Of course. And honestly, it's my favorite thing to do around any kind of holiday because, you know, you know, living in Texas, like the weather isn't necessarily going to be your like indicator like, oh, it's fall now because it's crisp in the air. Like, no, it's, it's still no fall. It's still very hot. But it's the best way to be like, okay, I want to get in the fall spirit. Let's go to the Arboretum where there are literally thousands of pumpkins in colors that I didn't even realize were like natural. Like there's white ones and there's some that are like this dusty teal blue color and it's like crazy. So it's always the best way to get into the vibe. I'm glad your weekend was awesome. It has been raining here. I think we are getting the remnants of the hurricane that hit the south this past week. So it's been rainy, uh, but that's uh, it's been kind of nice to stay inside, although the temperatures have been dropping, you know, um, the trees actually have not been really turning over yet, so it's pretty late for up here. So I think that this yeah. is going to help accelerate that, which I'm pretty excited for because fall in the Northeast is fantastic. That's one of the things I missed when I was in Texas. There is really no fall. Uh, but, you know, Texas has a great spring, has a great winter. Even the beginning of summer is really nice, but yeah. summer lasts a little bit too long and fall does not even last about a week probably. Three days. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one season that kind of stinks down south, but it's really good here. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about in the 60s, which is nice, but um, it's kind of like that weird time where you don't put on the heat yet, but you have no AC. So I'm just sitting here bundled up because we just don't quite want to get into that, like, that, that heat, you know, that makes you yeah. stuffy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so really? that's kind of been our weekend, but, uh, you know, rain every once in a while and staying in is kind of cozy and nice. So we had a weekend of football, hanging out with family, and just staying inside. There you go. Well, you know what? Weekends like this, sometimes it's nice when you get the push from nature, from Mother Nature to be like, you know what? Slow down. There's right. nothing. You, you're not going to be able to do anything this weekend anyway. So just lean into it. And, you know, it's all good. Well, we've got some really great questions to cover this week. So we are going to just jump in. This week's personal finance question comes from one of our listeners. They were actually listening to one of the earlier episodes saying, hey, you just need to save 
And so their follow-up question to me was, how do I know if I am saving 20% of my pay if some of it comes out before I even see it, like with my 401k at work? So I think this is a great question and actually it's pretty simple to answer. So let me walk you through it. With most simple questions, I'm just gonna give you some numbers just so you can see how this works, but you can plug in your own salary and work this out yourself to exactly see how this would work for you. So let's say you have a salary of $75,000 or a monthly salary of $6,250 pre-tax. So it just took that number and divided it by 12. And automatically you contribute 10% of your paycheck each month to your 401k. So 10% of $6,250 is $625 a month. So you're putting away $625 a month, which is a great amount of money to put away. And so that comes out first before you ever even see your money. So after your 401k contributions are taken out, you are left with $5,625, but now you are taxed on that. So you're taxed at a federal income rate of about 22% on that marginal dollar. And then everybody has to pay 7.65% on most of their income for Social Security and Medicare. And then plus, if you're in New Jersey or a state with state income tax, you are also taxed. So roughly speaking, if you actually make $75,000 a year and your uh, pre-tax money is $6,250 after 401k contributions and taxes, you are actually taking home $4,100 a month. My rule that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in one of the podcasts was just save 20% of your income. That is the number to get you to retirement by 65 and in many cases, well before 65. Save 20% of your post-tax income. So in this particular case, 20% of $4,100 is $820 a month. So if you save $820 a month, you're saving 20% of your income. Now let's back this out just for one second. You previously saved $625 off the bat before you ever even saw money in your 401k. So if you have to save $820 and you're saving $625, you only additionally need to save $195 a month out of the paycheck you actually see. This is just shy of 5% of your take-home pay per month. That's really huge because when we think about 20% coming out of our paycheck, it's like, ugh, you kind of get that like um, that sticker shock. But when you break it down this way, a lot of that money is already coming out of their account. They're not even going to feel it. And for most of us, I'm going to say most of us listening to this are probably pretty privileged that an extra $100, that's not much. You maybe even could exceed your 20%, you know, pretty easily without feeling too much pain, without feeling, you know, the crunch that 20% sounds like a lot. And you're absolutely right. Kind of how it comes out, some of it comes out first, and then you need to save a little bit extra. It actually makes the pain not so bad. So I know I just walked through some of the math, uh, but you could actually do this at home. I'm going to actually give you the five steps it took me to do this. And if you want to write this down, this is a good opportunity to pause this and just get a pen and paper out. I'll go through this pretty quickly. So it's not going to be a 10 minute answer. It's going to be about a minute answer. And if you're on your commute, don't worry. We're going to list these steps down in the episode notes for you as well. Yes. Great idea, Jen. Okay. So step one, you know your base salary. Everybody knows their base salary, what they make. Uh, But do you know the percentage and dollar amount taken out each month for retirement? Um, good. If you do, if not, look at your paycheck and write that down. So if you make 5,000 a month and a thousand comes out for your retirement, you need to mark that down. So step one, figure out what comes out for retirement out of your paycheck. Two, 
look at your paycheck and see the actual dollar amount that comes out after taxes and retirement. And so if your healthcare and all of that is taken out, use the number after that as well. So uh, the nice thing is for most people, you don't have to calculate your taxes. If you work for a large employer, they likely do this for you and you aren't freelance, so you don't have to calculate your own taxes. So if you, like I said, if you make $75,000 a year, your you know, after-tax breakdown would be about $4,100. Write that down. So now you have two numbers. You have your base salary, uh, how much comes out of your retirement, and what you're left with after taxes. Now take a 20% of your take-home pay. Whatever that is, just 20% of that. In this particular example, is 20% of $4,100, that post-tax money. Write that down. Now, step four, subtract what you actually automatically save out of your paycheck and what you need to save for 20%. And now you have the difference of what you need to save. So uh, step five, and this is not necessarily uh, important, but I'd like to know percentages. So, uh, so what is that extra money you have to save post-tax? You can figure out that percentage each month. This particular example, this person only needs to save 4.75%. I rounded it to 5% to make it simple. Uh, post-tax. So they only actually are saving 5% post-tax of their money, you know, once they get it. So it's not that 20% sticker shock at the end, a little bit's up front, a little bit's out, you know, at the end. That This is great. I mean, super helpful. And frankly, as a person who like, when we come down to digging into the numbers, I always get a little like, Ugh, but can I put this in Excel? Cause it's like too complicated. <laughs> Those steps make it super, super simple to kind of calculate. You're basically breaking out you know, what you're already saving pre-tax, what's coming out of your paycheck, post-tax, and then finding the difference. There's another tip here too, which is don't count your employer's contributions if they match anything. That is extra icing on the cake. Yes, that is not part of the 20%. That is additional savings that helps get you to retirement and helps Mm -hmm. you. So that is not, you have to save 20%. Anything your employer gives you is icing on the cake. That is such a good call out because uh, we could get a little crafty about it, but we have to keep in mind that cute little old us who is going to be sitting in retirement and needs that money and we don't want to shortchange them anything, you know? Another thought too, and Jen kind of mentioned this earlier, is that if you have some wiggle room in your budget and you can still save 20% post-tax even after the retirement contributions are already taken out, your savings rate would be like 30 to 35%. That would be awesome. And for most people, they can't do that. And in my current phase of life, I am not saving 30 to 35%. I have a kid. They're expensive. We just talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do try to actually hit more of a savings rate of about 25%. I don't think that you need to do that. You need to save 20% no matter what. But um, some months I'm trying to save 25%. So I save a little bit more post-tax that you know after that retirement contribution's out to try to hit closer to 25%. So if you can manage a slightly higher savings rate, great. The more you save, the earlier you can retire or the more money you're going to have in retirement. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessary. So I mean, if you're looking at your budget and you get that take-home pay of $4,100 a month and that extra 5% is $195, that doesn't feel difficult and you feel like you can even save an extra $50, $100, do it. Your future self will love you for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing. The 20% is a target. It is not a, oh, I've hit that limit. Check that box. I don't have to worry about it anymore. When you've got that extra money, it's 
it's a good place for it to go. <laughs> and I find here in New Jersey, because it's cold in the winter, that we don't do as much stuff. And so our savings rate in January, February, March tends to be actually a little bit higher. And then uh, in June, July, August, we are just hitting that 20%. So I mean, it doesn't have to be that you have this consistent percentage, but you should hit 20% every month. That is That's the baseline to get you towards retirement. Remember, this is something it can be dynamic. It just should be 20% plus at all times. Okay, so for this week's career listener question, we have one that came in asking about job searching for a new job and salary. So this week's question, I'm currently in the last stages of getting a new job. They gave me a salary range for the position, which is about $5,000 less than I was looking for on the higher end of their range. Should I try negotiating for more or is that not possible because they gave me the range beforehand? I've never dealt with a company that gives the salary range ahead of time. Technically, the top of the range would be more than I made before, but I was severely underpaid with my job and I don't want to go through that again. I see it as a win if I make anything in that range, but with inflation, I want to be prepared not to leave money on the table. So this is a, a, a great question. And honestly, with a bunch of the salary, there's a bunch of laws regarding salary and disclosing salary that are coming up across the country. Uh, New York has one. There's one in California. Colorado has it. So it is going to become more and more common that companies are going to offer you the range of the salary range at the beginning of your, your job search with them. The thing that's positive is that does not always mean that that range is firm. So for this person in particular, you know, you've mentioned you're in the final stages of the interview process with them. So it means that you've met with them about details of the role and all of that. And the range for the money is more than what you're currently making. So I think there's a couple of considerations here. The first thing I, I would want to know is, I know you said the salary range is 5K off of what you're looking for. Is that a deal breaker for you? I think it's really important to know before you go into any of the rest of the advice that I'm going to give you, you know, is this something where if they're not able to get you that extra 5K, are you willing to walk away from the job? Or is it something where you're going to be, you know, kind of disappointed, but you still, the job is good enough that you're going to forward? But in this particular case, this person seems to be, you know, happy that this range is higher than a current job, but desiring more. I think the question to saying, hey, I don't want to leave money on the table with inflation being so high. I think that's like, you know, a pretty valid question too. So I can understand that from an economic perspective, that being valid. What I will tell you is that factors in very little, if at all, when it comes to creating the salary ranges and doing the research. So just insight you know, to the HR perspective of how they actually create a salary band, we look for, there's actually salary um, data that you can purchase through one of the biggest companies is Mercer. And they will compile the research across all different size companies, different industries across the country and come together with, you know, this is what the market actually is. And that very, in a very small way, will factor into uh, inflation or sometimes there's a cost of living adjustment that can be added on top of that. Well, how old is the data for Mercer? Because, you know, if they were taking data right now, I would assume that it would have some of these increases we've been seeing over the last few months in there. It, it's probably at least a year in a, a year lag. 
Oh, okay. so then they absolutely wouldn't have this 9% kind of inflation in there. And I know people haven't gotten the 9% raise, but we have seen like three or 4% raises on average. And so even that's not reflected, which is a huge difference. Yeah. So that's the thing is like companies will use this as starting as a starting point, but that's where I, I would help people to understand that like, if you're talking to an HR person and saying, you know, listen, with inflation, I'm concerned. Frankly, that's just not a lever that's going to connect with them as much. So it's not always the best way to structure your argument. In this case, you have a 5K difference between what you're looking for and what they're offering. You've had multiple interviews. I think this is a really great opportunity to follow up with whether it's a recruiter or the HR person or whoever has been managing this this interview process for you and just reiterate and realign on what the salary is. You know, explain to them, you know, hey, I've gone through a bunch of interviews. I'm super interested in the position. Uh, I just want to touch base again on compensation. When we initially talked, this is what I said I was looking for. This is the salary range that you guys are offering. We've got a bit of a difference here. Is it possible for us to get, you know, if I'm the right person, or can we get to this number that I'm looking for? Would you do that before a job offer or after the job offer? Your career stage factors into it a little bit, but like at my point in my career, I've been working for 10 years. If this was a deal breaker for me, you know, if they can't get me that 5K, then I don't want the job, then I would have a conversation now because the optics are worse if you get to the job offer knowing that you weren't going to take the job and then they offer it to you and then you say no. You may end up unintentionally burning a bridge there or at least like creating some sour feelings. But if it wasn't a deal breaker and it was more of just a, a want, a request. I think at that point, if it's not a deal breaker, talk about it in the job offer. I think at that point, you can give it a little bit more time because you're going to take the job either way if it's not a deal breaker. Um, and at that point, the conversation is the same saying, you know, hey, we discussed this is what I'm looking for. This is the salary range. What can we do to get aligned? That's actually a really good point because you mentioned that this person is going to take the job anyway. I have found that I've only really negotiated when I was very interested in the position and was going to take the job, but I wanted to, in good faith, not leave money on the table. And, you know, obviously I had my reasons for wanting a higher salary. And one of the things that I learned uh, at our alma mater is that you should always kind of negotiate. And especially women do not negotiate nearly as much as men. That oh, I always took that to heart, and I've negotiated in every position that I've been in. Mm. I've been successful about fifty percent of the time, getting a higher salary, and that does not mean that the other fifty percent of the time they were like, "No, you're not worth it." It's just that the range was already high, and they were like, "Listen, we're already kind of high here." And it's like, "Oh no, I get it. I'm happy with the salary." Or the budget is the budget. Sometimes the budget is firm. Right. Exactly. But I just find that negotiating, you know, you can't really lose out provided you're not very stern and you just explain why. Mm -hmm. um, I found that even if they don't give you exactly what they want, they'll give you a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too. Yeah. I mean, this brings up a really, really great consideration, which you're totally right, specifically for women too. There's this book that I read very early on, actually before I was even in HR and recruiting, called Women Don't Ask by Linda Babcock and uh, Sarah Lesh Leshever, I think, is her last name. But it basically talks about how you see, starting out just with like first jobs out of school, the difference between 
asking and negotiating and whether you're successful or not, because like you said, Danielle, you're successful about 50% of the time. Um, and I think that that's a pretty accurate, it's a pretty accurate ratio for how often you will actually get more money, but it shows the difference in your career and your lifetime earnings and future promotions. Like this isn't just asking for, you know, in this case, we're talking about asking for more money with a job offer, but like asking for promotions, all of these other things, getting in, you know, additional PTO time. Like there's all of these different things that can change what your work life looks like that just we don't ask. Or we feel like, hey, well, they were really generous with this offer. So why would I ask for more? Like you brought up like, hey, this is like a good amount of money. I always like to tell people that you ask for the people who didn't or who didn't get the opportunity to ask. For example, people who are you know, underrepresented, whether it's women or people of color or people from different educational backgrounds, whatever it is, you help to raise the levels for everyone else who comes behind you. It's not just about you. And if you feel badly about like, oh my God, I'm making so much money. Okay. You could donate it. We're not telling you, you have to like go out and buy, you know, a BMW, but it is a small thing that you can do for you know, the working population as a whole to kind of say, hey, this is what people like us should be valued. And I'm going to ask for what we should be valued, whether that's the most money you've ever made in your life or not. One of the things that I like to do too, when I think about salary is I actually consult a lot of my male friends. Especially I do a lot of consulting work and stuff that I name my price. So I ask people that are similar to me, PhD economists, what they would do this for. And in my most recent case, it was higher than I would have said by $1,500 for a project. And I would have left that money on the table and I asked for it and they were like, yeah, no problem. And it was, it was so quick. But if I would have asked for $1,000 less, $1,500 less, they would have said, yeah, no problem as well. Totally. And I would have left money on the table that a, a man would have gotten and asked for. So I think that sometimes consulting a different group of you know, people, someone that, you know, might not be afraid to ask for it, which traditionally men do negotiate more than women. That's like a known fact mm-hmm. that you can kind of lean on some advice there. And, um, but I'm, I'm really big when people ask me, you know, should I negotiate? My answer is always yes. Yeah. Negotiate on something and support it. And I think like, like as Jen said, even if you're not successful, it prepares you for a future time where you might be successful. And it does yeah. help out people behind you because now the HR recruiter will start thinking about, is this the right salary? Is this the right benefit package? Should we be pushing Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. our firm to give an extra week of vacation? Because everybody keeps saying, hey, two weeks is not enough. Like, There's just so much that you could do to move the needle at your current company or that future company. And even just your own life. And like Jen said, even if you're compensated well and you feel kind of like, which I, I, I don't, but like, hey, gross, if you make an extra thousand, two thousand dollars then just donate it. Yeah. Just donate it to a cause you like. At the end of the day, any request that you make, if it's asked with respect and you know you have a, a level of tact and EQ, you're not going to burn your bridge. You're not going to, you know, I think people are always afraid of like, but what if they say no? Well, if they say no, that's fine. You know, and, and at a certain level, I expect that if per- a person is a senior manager or a director or above, that they are going to be negotiating. So it is a little bit weirder if they're just like, nope, that's great. Thanks. Like, no questions. I'm like, no questions, really? Okay. So yeah. So for this person, the advice, the recommendations I would give them is, first off, understand whether that 5K is going to be a deal breaker for you or not, 
are you going to be taking the job regardless or is it going to be something where you know you're just not going to be able to move forward and make your decision on realigning on salary with the HR team or the recruiter based on that if it is a deal breaker talk to them sooner rather than later and just kind of understand you know hey this is where i am this is where you guys are how can we meet so that everyone is happy and if it isn't going to be a deal breaker, then you can wait to negotiate at the offer. But in both cases, there's a little bit of a difference. You're not, you know, you're looking for more. Ask them for it. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, guys. Uh, we're really excited to hear back from you. Follow up with us with any questions that you have. Again, I want to say you can reach out through the voice notes through Spotify, if that's where you listen to us. Danielle, where can they reach us via email? You can reach us on notmadeofmoneypodcast at gmail.com. And you can reach out to us on social media, on our personal Instagrams. Genevieve's is just ask Genevieve. And mine is talkmoney underscore to me. So you could DM us questions. You can email us or do a voice note on Spotify to reach out to us with any questions you want us to feature on air or honestly, any just comments you have on the podcast, the new format. We are so excited to hear back from you. Well, that is it for this week. We're really looking forward to talking to you next week. And uh, in the meantime, bye guys. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.